0: understand that jesus accepts you for who you are and there's nothing that you can do to earn his love you know you can't make him love you more and he's not going to love you any less he accepts you as you are so when i started to understand that then that shift in my identity really helped helped me a lot <laughs>
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. And as always on the show, we are talking to everyday people and capturing their testimonies on how they were radically changed by the Lord. On my show today is a good friend of mine who's now been retired. He was an executive on the management team for Walmart Canada. And he's been running with a whole bunch of friends in E3 Ministries down in Kitchener, Ontario. Please welcome Guy McGuffin. Hey Todd, great to be with you today. Hey brother, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Thanks for coming in. So retired man,
0: how are you enjoying that? Oh, it's really awesome. You get to do whatever you want to do. No, no commitments, you can just choose what you want to do and it's Awesome. Oh, well, that sounds appealing to probably
1: everybody mm-hmm. listening right now. <laughs> so, how long uh, how long did you did you work for Walmart Canada, and what what did, what exactly did you do there?
0: Yeah, so I was a a vice president of merchandising for the last part of my career. I switched over into supply chain, was a vice president of supply chain responsible for uh, merchandise replenishment. So I worked with them for 18 years, a total of 38 years in retail. Wow. Did you get a lot of bargains? Did they give you free stuff there or not really? (laughs) Yeah, we got to... Got a few good deals.
1: A couple good deals. So oh, that's good. They make a lot of money. Early, yeah?
0: early in my career. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we usually don't start out this way, but guy, um, where did you grow up? Where were you born? Where did you grow up?
0: Yeah. So uh, so I uh, I was born in London, Ontario, and I grew up actually uh, for the first sixteen years of my life in the country. My grandfather had a farm. And uh, my mother and father and my siblings, we lived on the farm with my grandfather. And then he sold the farm when I was 16 years old and we moved into a small village uh, called Thorndale, which is uh, just north of London. And I stayed there until I finished high school and started working.
1: And what was... Faith-wise, did you grow up going to church? What was what was uh, that life like for you as a kid?
0: Yeah, so uh, my my mother uh, was a member of the United Church, and my father was an Anglican. Uh, so my mother would take me to Sunday school at the United Church when I was a boy. My father um, never came to church, so uh, yeah. So I, I learned stories about Jesus uh, as a child. And then uh, when I got to be about 13 years old, I began to challenge my mother about going to church. And I basically one day got to the point where I just said, hey, like, uh, if my father's not going, why do I need to go? And and I stopped going to church. And that was it for you? Yeah, that was it for me for quite a long time. I was far from the Lord. So then
1: just going through high school and living high school and then you, you got out of school and started
0: working and what... Uh, yeah, actually, maybe I'll give you a bit of background. Be before that about childhood. Before I go into the after high school part, I'll come back to that. If that's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, um, in my in my childhood, um, really through no fault of his own, just for different situations with work and so on, of um, plant uh, closures, prolonged strikes, and stuff like that, um, our, our our you know money was short in our family, I mean, I wouldn't say we were poor, but, you know, we, it was, we were, we were living a pretty modest lifestyle. And, um, that was one thing that kind of affected my life in a way is that I, I had this feeling like, you know, that I, I, I felt, you know, that we, I felt it's kind of like a shame about that. So that affected me in one sense. And then there was another thing that happened to, it was just kind of a bit of um, rejection through, through my childhood too, growing up. So those are two things that kind of affected me, um, in, in my life growing up. And I also, the third thing was that I, I had, I had some pride too. So th- those things caused me, uh, to strive throughout my life first, it was striving in school. I was a good student, um, and then it became striving in athletics, and then that came into striving in in uh, in work as well. Who, who did you feel rejected by, or just like a uh, some of it by by children to do with like uh, you know my my appearance and stuff like that in school, and then um, the other part was. Part of it was through my father, too. I remember, like I said, I was a good student, and I remember coming home one day, and uh, I had a what I thought was a good report card. I think I had like about seven A's and one B plus or something like that. And I showed my father, because, I mean, everyone wants to seek their brother's approval, right? And I thought he was going to, you know, give me lots of praise for the report card and, and congratulate me on all the A's. But instead, what he did was he said, so why did you get to only get a B plus on this one? And that kind of crushed me. And, and, you know, I know my father loved me and in his own way, he probably thought he was doing it to try to help me to be better, but he didn't realize that, that, that really had a profound effect on my life. And again, like I was saying, that was one of the things that Caused me to strive because I always wanted to seek my father's approval, right? Mm. And so I began seeking other people's approval uh, through life and trying to, and ended up that I was trying to find my identity in life through people recognizing, you know, my performance. Mm. Um, So skipping ahead to your original question about, you know, what happened after. Uh, school and so on. So, um, when we moved to, to the village when I was 16, uh, uh, it ended up that, um, I got involved with a different group of friends and, um, there was one other thing too. On my, on my father's side of the family, there was a lot of issues with, uh, the men in my father's family struggling with alcohol. And my father did too. Um, more so like a weekends thing, but, um, so I made a vow, like when I was like 14 or so, I think that I was never going to smoke or I was never going to drink because of all the alcohol issues I saw in my family. And uh, unfortunately when I ended up, I moved, I ended up getting involved with a different group of friends and, and started smoking, started drinking and even experimenting with drugs. Um, that didn't last, um, but certainly, the, the drugs didn't last uh, too long uh, for me because it ended up that when I finished high school, I was supposed to go to university at uh, Western Ontario. But again, because of finances, I, I wasn't really feeling confident that my the finances were available for me to go through university. So I was working, uh, I was working, started working in retail at that time, part time. And then they offered me a full time job. Just before September, when university classes were supposed to start, so I, I decided to to go to work. So I, I never went to university. So when I got involved with work, they started to uh, transfer me around the country. So I was out of the environment I was in. So then work became something you know that I was striving um, career. I was receiving recognition at work. I was getting promotions. And so, you know, I was, that was, that was feeding the, the need for recognition and, and the striving that was in my life. Were you, were you able to, like, did you
1: get sucked into the drinking or were you, were so, you able to get,
0: yeah. So there was, there, there was, there was a alcohol involved when I was first working, like a lot of the places guys would go out, like on, on weekends and stuff like that. But alcohol never really became, like a serious problem for me at all uh it was like for me it was just kind of recreational and uh, um I, re- I remember one time though that uh that i ended up I got, I got drunk one time and to the point where um i couldn't remember where i parked my car the next morning and that really scared me and so um uh, yeah so that is scary yeah yeah exactly so i could tell you some stories guy yeah so i, n- I never ever did that again and um, yeah so at, at after that alcohol was not something that it was really too much of an issue for me
1: which is good and very fortunate right because a lot of times in those family the histories those things carry on generationally so
0: yeah like i i had i had people on my father's side of the family that died early as a result of alcohol that's it was it was
1: sad um so you moved around the country a lot where did you where did you move where did you bounce around to
0: yeah so uh kind of of a funny story in retail the, the the day i bought my first car as soon as my employer found out i bought a car they transferred me to toronto the next day from london so uh I ended up, I worked in Toronto for a while and then um, I was transferred out to Prince George, BC. I got to live out in Prince George, BC for um, six months and then uh, spent some time in Edmonton and then eventually was transferred back to London and then down to Chatham where I met my wife and then uh, transferred to the Hamilton area where... Uh, Our children were all born in in, uh, Hamilton and Stony Creek when we were there. We lived there for one year in Stony Creek and three years in Hamilton. And then after our children were born, we moved to Cambridge and then to Guelph. And then we spent most of our married life and raised our children in Guelph.
1: So um, all this time of of going around BC, Alberta, and everywhere, uh, no church or any kind of faith thing like that, just kind of what you grew up in and kind of, which I understand because for Canadians um, like in that time, it's kind of like almost like your culture, like it's just, you yeah. know, you belong to this church or you belong to that, but it means nothing to you type thing.
0: Yeah. I, I never, I never attended a church at all from the time I was like 13 years old until uh, after I got married and it, it wasn't until we had our first child um, my mother, my wife was raised Catholic, although she wasn't practicing. Um, and my mother-in-law, when we had our first child was kind of honest about getting our daughter, christened, and we hadn't really even thought about it. So, uh, we kind of, um, succumbed to her, her wishes and decided, okay. So, sorry, who, who was that? Your, your wife? My, my mother-in-law. Your mother-in-law. Okay. okay yeah. 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 So, uh, she was, a, she was a practicing Catholic. Um, so yeah, so we ended up, we, we got our daughter, uh, christened in a Catholic church. I attended the church maybe once or twice, but I, I just, it just wasn't for me afterwards that we, we, we didn't attend, uh, after that. Um, so then, um, uh, we had, uh, we had twins, um, three and a half years after my, my daughter was born. And uh, we had just moved to uh, Cambridge. And um, they were born premature. And um, as a result, they had a lot of health issues, allergies, and they had something called celiac syndrome. So, and we were kind of on our own raising our family because my family was an hour away and her family was two hours away. So it was a really stressful time for for us as a family and particularly for my wife because I was doing some international traveling at the time too. So, I mean, there were times where um, she was at home with three kids, two of them twins. I mean, and you know, maybe one or two years old and I'd I'd be traveling in Asia on a three week trip. And I remember, I remember her call, I calling her, and there's twelve hours time difference, and and uh, she'd be in tears on the phone, and she'd be asking me to come home, and like, I I couldn't come home, and it was like it was like gut wrenching because I I knew how difficult it was for her, but uh, you know I I I had to I, I had the company flew me over, I had to finish this trip, but again, you know, to be honest with you, I was I was still. So blindly focused on a career, too, uh, you know that I I probably should have, you know, told them, and I did eventually tell them. Like I can't, I can't do this traveling anymore. You right know, it's too, it's too much on my wife. Yeah. So during that period of time, anyway, so uh, just out of you know, kind of being at, at wit's end, she if she met someone that kind of shared. The gospel with her and she came to she came to know jesus and while you were away i'm on the, i mean i'm not during but, that period of time i can't remember whether it was while i while i was away or whatever but it was during that period of time okay um yeah so um you know i began to notice a change i'd be coming home from work and we, we've got 24-hour non-stop christian music on in the house and <laughs> and, and and for me, at first, it was like a bit much. I go,es I don't mind listening to it sometimes. We have to listen it all the time. So, but anyway, so, yeah, so I could see a change in her life. And, um, and uh, also, I, I happened to be commuting back and forth with, with, to work with a guy who was a believer, too, who I'd known for quite a number of years. So I had, I had those two things kind of going on at the same time that were kind of um, influencing me. And, um, so our daughter, um, when she was like four, uh, she was very precocious. She was very bright as a, as a young girl. And, um, my wife felt like going, like to put her in school, but I, I don't think there was, I don't think there was a pre-kindergarten at the time where we were in the public school system, but she happened to find out from a friend that there was a pre-kindergarten in a Christian school. So uh we ended up that uh, um we decided we'd register her her for the Christian school. And it worked out well because um, you know, it was easier for my wife to just manage the two than to try to look after the three at the same time. So uh so that September, um when we enrolled her, the the pastor of the church where the Christian school was he he came over to our house, so I, I guess he must have been in the habit of maybe wanting to meet the parents of children that attended the school. So he came to our house and uh, and uh, he's you know he started talking to me. He asked me point blank. He said, "So where do you think you are going to spend eternity when you die?" And I thought for a moment. I go, well, I guess I went to a school or a Sunday school. I, I, I know about Jesus. I believe there's a heaven. I, I guess I'm going to go to heaven. And then he asked me, so why do you why do you think that you're going to go to heaven? I thought about it for a minute again, and I'm thinking I can't really think of a reason other than. Yeah, I think I'm a good person. <laughs> so, so he kind of explained to me that it really didn't have anything to do with me being a good person or anything that I did at all. It was only by what Jesus did. And uh, so, when he said that, um, we talked some more, and uh, I realized, you know, I I do believe there's a heaven. Um, and then he asked me if I, you know, if I wanted to accept Christ so at my at my kitchen table uh, I I prayed to receive Christ as my lord and savior and uh, and uh, we got baptized both my wife and I got baptized on the same day oh wow yeah uh, at at the baptist church and uh, yeah so that was uh, that was pretty awesome so that was the beginning of my my walk uh, a lot of things Changed in my life, I was involved with the church, and uh, you know a lot of things had changed at home too. Uh, But uh, and I know that I received the Holy Spirit when uh, I accepted Christ and was baptized. But there was still some issues in my life. the The striving was still there. I was still making career, climbing the corporate ladder earning money i was still making those things a priority in my life and not really giving you know god um first place in my life
1: so so when you accepted christ and and got baptized and stuff was there did you have uh, any kind of a tangible experience sometimes people do sometimes they don't we see a lot of stuff right but yeah what yeah. was what was yeah, that so
0: i i did not have a a, a tangible experience other than that, that 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 things like for instance i was more interested in reading the bible uh you know i, I was i was still smoking at the time i quit smoking i i, I got involved with the church and different things uh, I, I i i stopped drinking uh, you know different things did you and did you do
1: that because you felt like you should, or did you do that because you just felt like you didn't need it anymore?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting story. You know, uh, you know, like I would think probably a bit of both. And uh, yeah, but I was I really wasn't sharing my my faith with anyone outside of outside of yeah work, for example. Um, you know. Uh, Andrew Womack is just saying. He says something like, um, "If if you if you were being charged with being a Christian, there'd be scarcely enough evidence to convict you." So, yeah, I've heard him say that. Yeah. So that was that was kind of like me. I was like, uh, "That's not a convicting statement at all, is it?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I yeah, you know, I would, I would I would go to church on Sunday and. I would I would read my Bible, but I, I really wasn't going out and sharing my faith with anybody else so, outside of work, outside of the church or whatever.
1: So you've talked a lot about like seeking approval and seeking your father's approval and seeking well, yeah. essentially, worth and purpose, right? So, yeah. so you were still there, there's still obviously a process. So what can you take us through? What like, yeah. what changed in you for that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah so the so my identity wasn't coming out of my relationship with God or who I was in Christ. My identity was still stuck in this fear-based model that I was seeking uh, the acceptance of others and when I received recognition, I felt good about that. if I, if there's something happened where you know I didn't get recognition then then that affected me. Negatively, right. And my significance in my identity was coming out of of this approval, this recognition, this, you know, promotions, earning more money, all of those things. So it was strictly like a, a fear based model. Um, so when our children were older um, my, my wife, she was always really wanting to make sure that children were connected wherever we were at church, and so it's, we, we moved from churches at different times uh, as our family was growing up because my wife wanted to make sure each of the three children was kind of plugged in and connected. So, um so I remember one time we switched churches where they had a really good program for for young children. It was something called Awana at one church, and we ended up, we got our kids involved there. And then uh, as we got older, they didn't have any program for teens, so then we moved to another church so that they would get connected. So that was always on their heart to want to make sure that all three of our children were really plugged in and, and um, growing and developing uh, as children and also in their faith. So we ended up, we... Uh, we moved uh, to a, a church in Kitchener, uh, and uh, it was a non-denominational church, but it was probably most closely associated with the Pentecostal church. And I, I went there, um, and it worked out really well because it ended up that one of our sons, uh the last son who'd never been baptized before actually got baptized and received the Holy Spirit at that church. So that was, that was a blessing. And, um, for me, I went there one night and it was kind of interesting is that, uh, and it's the only time that ever happened at that church. I've been there for, I still go there. I've been there, there probably, uh, almost 20 years now. Um, but it ended up that evening they, they said to the people that were there, is anyone here never spoken in tongues before? And I never spoke in tongues. My wife did, but but I didn't. And, um, no, one, and no one had even really at the Baptist church even talked to me about baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, yeah, so I raised my hand and said that I hadn't spoken in tongues. And, you know, there were about 120 of us that night. It was It's a big church, probably be... 800 people there, but out of the 800 people, 120 people. So they never spoke in tongues. So we all went to the front, and they prayed over us. They laid hands on us to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And I ended up that um, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you were saying earlier about, you know, having some sensation. So I did have some sensation, some sensation, and started speaking in, in tongues. And so that was... That was kind of a game changer for me. From that point, um, then the Holy Spirit was really um, beginning to work in my heart. At that point, yes, yeah. So um, I uh, ended up that uh, in 2010, my wife right. and I went on um, the first mission trip. I had been gone, had gone on. My wife had gone on. I don't know, ten or twelve mission trips before she got involved with a, a, a group in a Presbyterian church that we attended in Guelph. It was called uh, PAN, Presbyterians, 80 Nicaraguans. And she had gone on mission trips to Nicaragua, again, like 10 or, 10 or 12 different times, And but I'd never been before. So 2010 was the first time uh, that I ever went on a mission trip, and we went together in, in Dominican. And then after that, um, I, you know, I, I wanted to do more, and it, it, I started uh, volunteering at a drop-in center in uh, in Guelph uh, that was feeding the homeless, and uh, you, we would just typically have a meal and sit down with the, the guests that were there, and, and to share with them and pray with them if the opportunity presented itself, and uh, then uh, when we um, uh, we moved to uh, to this um church in kitchener they had a um a a program where they provided a meal to a a downtown feeding center called rate of hope once a month and i joined something they called the connection team so it was the same idea you would end up that you would go there and uh, some people would actually prepare the meal but other people would be part of the connection team and they would just sit, essentially just grab a meal with the guests, sit down with the guests and talk to them, pray with them, witness to them. So I did, I did that uh, on a, on a monthly basis, once a month. And then the chaplain at the, the Ray of Hope uh, asked me if I wanted to, you know, get involved with ministry there. So I ended up, I started going there on Sunday Sundays, there, they had a chapel service at 4, and then they served a meal afterwards, so I would go volunteer there, and then he started he wanted to start a Tuesday night prayer group, so I got involved with uh, with that as well. And then, and then I, I started continuing with the overseas mission trips. I went, I went on a couple of building trips, uh, one with YWAM, and then with another with a group of guys to... One was to Zambia, and another one was to Saint Vincent and Grenadines. YWAM was building a DTS facility in in uh, in a little island on a little island, Saint Vincent Grenadine. So, so I went down there, and i, I took my I took my son uh, down there. It was an amazing time, and uh, yeah. So, I was I was just, God was working on me to get more and more involved. So, guy,
1: what when? you had the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, or or throughout these, did you feel a shift uh, as far as seeking the approval that you were seeking through work and everything else? Was there, was there a shift? Did you find it in that moment?
0: Yeah. So that was something that kind of happened gradually. Uh, It wasn't like sudden, but it, it, it did, it did shift. And, um, I was getting to the point where I, I want. I wanted to re, to retire early, and um, because I I, I wanted to, to do other things, and I was I was in a position to be able to do that. So um, once once I once I got to the point where I, I retired that I, I had more time to do more more ministry, um, and you know obviously um, the striving part wasn't wasn't certainly an, an issue. It was much of an issue.
1: So you realized who you were.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's such an amazing thing is, th- uh, you know, to understand that Jesus accepts you for who you are and there's nothing that you can do to earn his love. You know, you can't, you can't make him love you more and he's not going to love you any less. He accepts you as you are. So when I started to understand that, then that shift in my identity really helped helped me a lot because then I I knew, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't have to try to earn God's love. You just love me for who I was. Yeah. Come on. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So guy, how, how did you, um, how did you then get involved, uh, volunteering with E3
0: ministries? Yeah. So, um, that was kind of interesting i I can't remember all the details, but there's a number of different things that were kind of happening at the same time i I was i I had retired at that point. I wanted to do more. I started watching different videos uh, on, on YouTube and I had another friend uh, that was that church that was telling me about different videos. So I started watching Todd white videos. Uh, I was watching, um, the last reformation videos. Mm. So I was really getting intrigued by what I was watching and this whole idea of the book of Acts becoming alive. And I'm sitting there saying, well, the early church is, are doing all these things. Why, why am I not seeing this in the church? Um, so, uh, it ended up that, um, six years ago, over six years ago now, six year, half years ago, I got to the point where, um, uh, after watching so many videos, I found that, that the last reformation, they, they used the letters TLR, TLR had this map. And you could go on the map and they'd have pinpoints on the map. And you could find somebody that would take you out and kickstart you on going out to share the gospel. So I, f- I found a, a guy in, in my city. His name was Peter Sommerfeld. And this was just before my trip to Zambia. And I really wanted him to take me out because I wanted to have an opportunity to be able to go pray for for people in Zambia. So I, I called him when I called him, he was actually in Taiwan. He was getting married in Taiwan. So he, he wasn't able to take me out, uh, un- until they got back. So it ended up that I made the trip to, to Zambia. And, um, I still really felt like I wanted to pray with people, even though, I had to had no one take it out and take me out and model it before. So we were, this team was doing a building project. And so, um, we were actually getting some lumber. Uh, one day at a, at a lumber mill, um, in Zambia. And, uh, I wasn't involved in purchasing the lumber. So I just happened to have some time. I was wandering around. I saw some young kids and I saw one young guy who was like, obviously limping. Right. So I thought, Hey, maybe I'll just go ask this guy if I can pray with him. So, so uh, I I asked him, you know, what's wrong with his knee? And he heard it, he heard his knee somehow playing or something. So I asked him if it's okay if I pray with him. So uh, I laid hands on him, and you know, I just said I'd watch the videos. I knew what to say, so I just you know, be healed in Jesus' name, all pain go and and. Uh, like I was healed. So I like, praised God. This pain went and then all of a sudden he was so excited. He ran and pulled one of his other friends and his other friend was going through some kind of a spiritual issue. So I ended up praying for him and he felt like real peace afterwards and he was crying. And, and so it was amazing. And so then after that, then I was like, I wanted to pray, pray with everybody that I could pray for, uh, while I was there and. So when I got back, um, I finally connected with Peter. He took me out, and um, we went out. I can't remember if it was the first time or the second time that we went out, but uh, there was a lady coming out of a Tim Hortons, and she she had a cane, and she was obviously having difficulty making her way around. And, and I said to Peter, I said, should go pray for this woman, and Peter says, "Well, she's getting in her car. She might not be open to prayer, or something like that." But for some reason, I felt okay. I'm going to go anyways. By the time <laughs> <That's> I <laughs> <laughs> by the time I got to her, she was like already in her car. So I'm like tapping on <laughs> her window, and she puts the window down. And she is an elderly lady, and uh, I said, "You know, I'm, I'm praying for people. Would you like some prayer?" And amazingly she was open she got out of her car and and i prayed for her and jesus healed her man wow and she was like waving her cane dancing around she, her pain was all gone she had had like i've been in a car accident she had damaged her pelvis and her hip and it was like amazing and then after that i was like oh man this is what i want to do and i never stopped i i i, I think i I, I don't think there's been a week since then for the last six and a half years where I haven't gone out to share the gospel and pray with somebody. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, so around the same time, um, uh, Jeremy Dorton, who's the, the Canadian director for E3, um, he, he actually attended the same church I did. So he's offered uh, a, a small groups class about some of the E3 tools. So I I, I signed up for that. And um, I didn't really grasp it all the first time that he showed it to us. So I ended up, a friend of mine actually invited me to his home, and Jeremy was coming to his home to show the tools a second time. So, yeah, the second time that I heard it, um, it, it, it really started to stick with me. Particularly some of the tools, like they, they offer a tool called Three Circles. It's a gospel sharing tool. And I I really love that because before that, I was, it was kind of clunky for me trying to share the gospel with people. It was never the same thing twice. I was kind of struggling for words. But once I got into this Three Circles method, you can share the gospel in three minutes, and they, you can do anything with it. You can write it on the ground. You can write it on a napkin. Um, it's such an easy tool to use and I, uh, uh, I use it all the time now. Yeah. Yep. I knew Jeremy's
1: name was going to come up at some point. <laughs> yeah. Eh? yeah. I can't remember what episode he's on, but if you're listening to this, you can go back and look at Jeremy Dorton. He's got a great, great uh, testimony as well.
0: Yeah. It's an awesome guy.
1: So now you've been, so six years you say, right? With E3. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I've probably had six years I've been, I've been uh, running with those guys, yeah.
1: And it's great. You know what? It's great to hear, guys, that you, we interview a lot of people on the show that are in full-time ministry, Yeah, but you've now just shared a testimony. So you have a testimony too, like everybody else, and you're doing all the same stuff that these people in full-time ministry are doing too, right? So it's just a testimony to everybody out there that, you know, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, and the workers need to be from all walks of life and come from you know, all different areas and stuff like that. Are you still in contact with
0: anybody that you worked with before? Yeah, it's, that's kind of a funny story. Um, it, uh, earlier this week, actually, uh, I had an opportunity to have lunch with one of my, uh, bosses from earlier in my career and, uh, he was a guy that was really special to me. He was a mentor to me. He he um, he really encouraged me and uh, taught me a lot. I really respect him a lot. And um, so he's ninety four now, and uh, he's he's not a believer. So I had an opportunity this week to to have lunch with him. So uh, one of my friends, the one I was telling you that when I commuted with, he's a believer. He came he came with us. And another friend who actually, he also led to the Lord, he came with us too. So th- there's three believers, and we're having lunch with my 94-year-old boss, uh, who I deeply admire and respect, and uh, had an opportunity to share the gospel with him, and it was, it was special. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, That's awesome.
1: Guy, well, thanks a lot for being on the show and sharing your story Really appreciate you taking the time to come and chat with us.
0: Yeah. Hey, before we go, there's one thing I wanted to add to a point you made earlier uh, about working and so on. So I just want to encourage uh, everybody that, you know, regardless of your, your age or whatever your walk is in life, um, you know, there's still a huge opportunity for you to be used by God to go and to share your faith with others. So, you know, whether you're 60, whether you're 30, whether you're 80, God can still use you to advance his kingdom. And you can still, you know, you can still witness to people and share the love of Christ to people. So, you know, whether you're working, whatever career you're in, you know, if it's, if you, whatever time you have, you know, whether it's only part-time because you're in a full-time job or when maybe you're at a point where you're co-vocational or maybe you're like me now at a point where you're retired is that God can use you. And to your point, you said earlier, we need more laborers because the harvest is plentiful. And, and uh, yeah, so, and you all have a story. Everyone's story is different and yeah. your testimony is unique and your story you know, will resonate with different people. So, I just want to encourage you, uh, regardless of how old you are, what which stage in life that you're at, is, you know, go out there. You can make a difference. Tell your story and, and, uh, yeah, witness to people and just share the love of Christ.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And, I, and I had one, one question for you. Uh, you talked about all your life looking for that approval and seeking seeking for that. Essentially seeking for your identity, but seeking for that approval. If you could talk to somebody, if you were talking to somebody this afternoon who opens up to you that they're just seeking that approval in work and all these things, man, what would you say to them, bro?
0: Yeah, so I I I would say that to them that there's nothing there's nothing that they're going to ever do that's gonna give them the joy that they're missing. It's there's nothing that's going to ever fill that void in their life. There no matter what they do, no matter how much money they earn, no matter how much they climb the corporate ladder, whatever it is, they'll never get the recognition. There'll always be something missing. You know, you make more money, you be able to buy something, it's not going to last. There'll still be that longing in your heart that you don't know what it is or something missing. And that's, what's missing is that joy of the Lord. And it's only when you realize that God loves you and he accepts you for who, for who you are. You don't have to earn his love. And you get to that point point, you say, wow, I'm accepted, I'm loved. Then you can go minister to other people out of that love, out of that joy that's in your heart.
1: Amen thanks for sharing that thanks for coming in Guy appreciate it yeah my pleasure seeking his father's approval Guy was seeking his father's approval and seeking approval in life through work and all these things and aren't we all seeking friends aren't we all seeking something sometimes we think everything's good everything in our life is good but check your heart deep down because we're seeking for something and what's really truly amazing is that God is seeking us he's seeking you And when you realize that and give yourself to him 100% you're filled with joy. And nothing else will matter but him. And then you can behold his glory. Please seek him. Be blessed, my friends.